So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can pull it up on your phone maybe. I'd love for you to be able to follow along. Obviously, this summer we have some plans that we're excited about that you'll find in that blessed summer ever brochure. Um, but certainly, it's, it's going to be a time of adjusting for us uh, to the changes here at Redeemer, a time for retooling and repatterning some things, if you will. Um, hopefully, a time to strengthen our fellowship, strengthen the ministry of Redeemer as we look to faithfully serve Christ to joyfully follow Him and to help others do the same. And as I've just thought about this Sunday and what I'd like to share, from Philippians chapter 2, I just want to say a hearty thank you to you all as well as encourage us, charge us, challenge us, even as we look to the future. In Philippians, Paul is in prison he has heard a report from most likely Epaphroditus had come from Philippi to Paul in Rome in prison and given him a report about the church, the good things about the church and some things that they were struggling with. Probably at the center of their struggle was disharmony and disunity that he will address. But having heard that report, he wrote this letter. And if you'll want to look back briefly in chapter 1, verse 1 through 26, we might call it my affairs from Paul's perspective. My affairs. Paul writes about his thankfulness for the Philippians. He shares his prayer for them. He talks about how the gospel has gone out in the midst of his imprisonment. He shares how he expects and hopes to get out of prison so that he might have fruitful ministry. 1, 1 to 26 is my affairs. And then 127 to 218 we might call your affairs, the Philippians affairs. In 127 you see it, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's encouraging them to a one spirit, a striving together. You see it down in chapter 2, verse 2. Same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty deceit, empty deceit, but with humil conceit. I'm sorry, empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he goes on in that incredible passage, verses 5-11, through 11, to show the, the greatest example ever of humility of mind. Not looking after one's own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. He lifts up Christ in His humility for the sake of others as an example to be followed. And then in verses 12 through 18, as he brings that section to a close in verse 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. 
You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul possibly is giving himself as an example as well as someone who poured himself out for the sake of others. So 1-1 to 26, my affairs. 127 to 218, your affairs, Philippians. And then 119 to verse 30, we might call it next affairs. This is somewhat, the scholars might call it a travel log of sorts. And Paul's going to talk about his desire to come and see them and the fact that he's sending Timothy and that kind of thing. But in the midst of this travel log, he's going to show us two more examples of this humble, servant-hearted spirit. Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's jump in. We'll take a closer look. I want to read the passage first and then we'll dig in. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. In verse 19, I just want to draw a general principle from verse 19 that might simply be an encouragement to you and to me to progress in our faith. And maybe to say it another way, that biblical truth is meant to be applied. And hope to not spend a whole lot of time on verse 19, but here's what I mean. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may, may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul's desire, he's still in prison, was to send Timothy to them. And his reason was so that he might learn and be encouraged of their condition. So he's still in prison. He wants to send Timothy so Timothy can see how they're doing, come back to Paul in prison, and be encouraged. Try and put some things together here. The present condition of the church in Philippi apparently was, at least from one point of view, not so good. Epaphroditus had come from Philippi to Paul and given a report. And we know of at least one specific example in chapter 4, verse 2, 
I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And from the things that Paul is calling upon the Philippians to live, one mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the Gospel, it appears that their, their harmony and their oneness and their unity had been disturbed or at least was being threatened. And so the condition, we might say, was discouraging. And so Paul picks up his pen and he writes this letter. He shares with them his own affairs. And then he moves on to their affairs and encourages them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. One mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Not looking out for their own personal interests, but also the interest of others. To have this mind in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and taking the form of a bondservant, being found in the likeness of man, he emptied himself becoming obedient to the point of death. He, he who was God became a man and gave Himself upon a cross for us. And so as Paul writes this and is urging this upon them, apparently he puts this letter in Epaphroditus' hands and says, go back with it. So Epaphroditus leaves Paul in Rome and goes to Philippi and no doubt reads this letter. Brothers and sisters, Paul has written us a letter and I'd like to read it to you. And so they would hear it. They would hear him urging them to oneness and unity and love and not looking after own personal interests but the interests of others. And what we might say was Paul expecting? I think he was expecting, or at least he was very hopeful, for encouraging growth. That's what he said in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Apparently he wanted to learn that they had heard the letter and had responded to the letter and we're walking in oneness. Oneness of mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Not looking after their own interests, but also for the interest of others. Paul was hopeful that they would hear the authoritative word of the apostle, submit themselves to it, and apply it to their lives. He was hoping that they would progress. He says in chapter 1, verse 25, that he's hopeful and expects to get out of prison, and this is a good thing. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. Paul was hoping that they would hear his letter, submit themselves to it, apply its truth to their lives. Uh, this week I got a text from Will Hussey. He was asking me about a, an old illustration. He said, hey, do you remember this? And I said, yeah, I remember it. It's from Chuck Swindoll from his book, Improving Your Serve, which was written a long time ago. Uh, some of you may not even know who Chuck Swindoll is, but a lot of you do. Great pastor, incredible preacher. From his book, Improving Your Serve, this is funny, 
but it's also stinging. Listen to what he writes. Let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family in the move to Europe for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write you regularly and give you direction and instructions. I leave you, and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out my expectations. Finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office. I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room, and she's doing her nails, chewing gum, and listening to her favorite disco station. You can imagine Winnie wrote this. I look around and notice the wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed in weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask for you, and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction, bump into you as you are finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What What in the world is going on, man? What do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah. Sure, got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have a letter study every Friday night since you left. We even divide all the personnel into small groups and discuss many of the things you wrote. Some of those things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two memorized an entire letter or two. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay, you got my letters. You studied them and meditated on them, discussed them, and even memorized them. But what did you do about them? Do? Uh, We didn't do anything about them. Yikes. Yikes. Paul's hope, as he sent this letter, apostolic truth, to this church, was that they would hear God's Word through him submit their lives to it, and apply it to their lives. And so let's just take that as an encouragement to all of us as we come to God's Word, as we hear it proclaimed, to have humble hearts, to receive God's Word and put it to action in our lives. Well, moving on from that, he shares this first example of excellence Who is Timothy? Verse 20. Let's look at Paul's perspective on Timothy. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Paul says of this man, young Timothy, he's a kindred spirit of mine. We are of literally one soul together. Paul had deep concerns and love for the Philippian church. And he said, so too does Timothy. Timothy feels the same way as I do about you all, Philippians. 
He's concerned for your welfare. They all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. That points all the way back to verse, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul says Timothy is a wonderful example of that kind of living. Looking out for the interests of Christ Jesus, which indeed are the interests of others. But it's not just Paul's perspective on Timothy. In verse 22, the Philippians' perspective, he says in verse 22, but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. You know of his proven worth. This letter was most likely written about 61 or 62 A.D. Paul had come to faith, we believe, soon after Jesus died and rose, so around 33, 34 A.D., And it would be some 14 years later when Paul would go on his first missionary journey. About 48 A.D. And on that first missionary journey, he would go to Pisidia, Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, which was young Timothy's hometown. And on that first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel. And some believed. And most likely, it was on that first missionary journey in 48 A.D., that Timothy's grandmother, Timothy's mother, and himself came to put their faith in Jesus Christ. A few years later, 50, 51 A.D., Paul is going on his second missionary journey, and he stops in Lystra, and he, he recruits Timothy to join his team, to be a part of this missionary team, to take the gospel into new places, to plant it, to build up the church and move on to plant new churches. So Timothy came to faith in 48, around 50 or 51, he comes on to Paul's missionary team. And on that second missionary journey, some months later, they would go to Philippi. And they would lead Lydia to faith in Jesus. And they would lead a slave girl to faith in Jesus. They'd get thrown into prison and they would lead the Philippian jailer and his family to faith in Jesus. They would plant a church in Philippi. And then some 10 years later, still in touch with and encouraged by this church is when this letter would be written and Paul would have his hopes to send Timothy to them. All of that to say that they have known Timothy for some 10 years. And Paul says, you know of his proven worth that this young man had been put through the ringer of life and ministry. He'd been given responsibilities along the way and had followed through. He had experienced trials and he had endured. He had been persecuted for his faith but stood tall and didn't shrink away. You know of his proven worth that this brother, for all of these years, has served faithfully. He served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. At this point with Paul, over 13 years of being by his side and helping him 
in planting churches in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Athens, in Corinth. Ministry in Ephesus and no doubt even in Rome. And they knew of it. His reputation went before him. He was a proven man. He was servant-hearted behind the scenes for a long, long time. But behind the scenes, helping the progress of the gospel all over that first century Mediterranean world. Soon enough, Timothy would be placed in Ephesus and he would become the leader of the church in that city. But it was those years with Paul serving like a child serves his father. What a man. And Paul lifts him up as an example of what he's urging upon them. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Don't look after your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Be like Jesus. Be like me. Be like Timothy. And then, be like Epaphroditus. Verse 23. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, that's Timothy, as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Again, Paul had this anticipation that he would be released from this imprisonment and would be able to travel freely. But in the meantime, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So apparently Epaphroditus is the one who came from Philippi, gave the report, Paul writes the letter and puts it into his hands to take back to Philippi. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And let's look at the things he says about him. My brother. It's the fundamental relationship within the body of Christ that we are family. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are the family of God. And a fellow worker that this brother as well labored alongside Paul as well as in other places for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the ministry. He's a brother and he's a fellow worker and he's a fellow soldier. Paul's going to describe a hardship that he was going through and such that one commentator on this phrase said he was a wounded comrade in arms being sent home to rest. This brother was not only a worker, but he had taken some shots as a soldier for Christ. Who is also your messenger? That's the clue that it's probably Epaphroditus who came from Philippi to tell them, to tell Paul of the church and how it was doing. And minister to my need. He also probably brought with him some money, some food, some clothes. Epaphroditus, why don't, you take, why don't you go see Paul? Tell him how we're doing. Here, here's some, here's some food to take to him. Here's some money, here's some clothes, here's a blanket. So he's your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So that's going back to verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. 
But God had mercy on him, and not only on me, on, on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Apparently, here's what's going on. Epaphroditus, on his trip from Philippi to Rome, gets sick. Terribly so. And probably he had a travel partner or two, maybe more, and one of those partners left the travel group and went back to Philippi and told them to pray for Epaphroditus because he is sick to the point of death. Epaphroditus did make it to Rome, to Paul, and gave the report, and Paul wrote the letter. And now Paul says, Epaphroditus, I want you to go home. Go back to Philippi. Because this brother was so worried about the Philippians. He's the one who was sick. He's the one who almost died. And yet he's the one going, Paul, they're so concerned about me. And you know, you, you couldn't pick up a phone and you couldn't shoot an email. You couldn't text. You either had to send somebody back or go yourself to tell them, I'm okay. I'm doing well. Epaphroditus was not looking after his own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. He loved them. He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. God raised him up. God healed him. And Paul was so thankful for that. Verse 28, Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to, the, to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So Epaphroditus is a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister, a caring, unselfish individual. He's special to Paul. He's a risk taker for Christ. And Paul is urging upon the Philippians to hold men like him in high regard. To honor men and women with a spirit like this. And so I just want to say, and I don't say it enough, but thank you, thank you, thank you for your Timothy-like, Epaphroditus-like, Paul-like, Jesus-like spirit as you love and serve this family of God. Thank you as you don't look after your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. We're going through some rough waters at Redeemer. If this is your new first time here at Redeemer today, a couple of our staff guys, we've, well, I don't want to get into all those details. Shoot. If this is your first time at Redeemer, um, we've had two of our staff guys on staff. One we let go because we wanted to go in a new direction with our student ministry. Had nothing to do with his character. He did nothing wrong. Zero. He's an honorable, good man. We wanted to go in a different direction with our student ministry. 
At the same time, we let go Matt Farlow as well because we, we want to go in a different direction with some kids' ministry stuff rather than investing so much into our adult ministries. He did nothing wrong, zero. There's no moral failures anywhere in all of that. So I just want to make that clear. Um, so next Sunday is going to be Matt's last Sunday, so I hope that you all will be here for that. and We'll have a reception for him and for his family as well. But having said all that, it's, it's been a little rough month around here because of that. But I just want to say, so thank you for your love, for this place, for your Christ-like, Paul-like, Timothy-like, Epaphroditus-like spirit that has loved this place and has loved each other. been a huge encouragement to me. So many of you who've come up and say, hey, how can we help? How can we serve? Where's a hole that we can fill? It's been so life-giving. It's been like Jesus. It's been like Paul. It's been like Timothy. And it's been like Epaphroditus. And Paul tells us to hold people like that in high regard. And so, Honor them. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I think this text is here. As I've alluded to and just want to make clear again, it's here also to call us up to more and more. Paul is urging upon them a oneness of mind, a striving together for the faith of the Gospel. To look out not for their own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And the force of this is be like Jesus, be like Paul, be like Timothy, be like Epaphroditus. And so let's do that. Let's be servant-hearted, others-centered. How can I help? Where can I serve? Risk-taking kind of folk for the sake of the body of Christ that is Redeemer Community Church and for the sake of the progress of the Gospel here in our city. Hold men like him in high regard. Don't look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, inspired, true, and authoritative for us. Thank you for Christ, who himself didn't look after his own personal interests, but for the interest of others, for his people who left heaven's glory and took to himself humanity, who went to a cross, not because he deserved it, but to take our sins and our judgment upon himself. And Because of it, your word says that you highly exalted him. You raised him from the dead. You exalted him to your right hand. And he reigns. Thank you for his magnificent example of humility 
and servant-heartedness. Thank you for Timothy and these words about him that are so encouraging and yet so challenging. And for Epaphroditus, this brother who would risk his own life for the sake of others. Lord, may this kind of spirit be ever more true of us. Would it be ever more true of me? Oh God, root out of my heart, root out of our hearts, pride, selfishness. And take this little seed And grow it up within us that we would be full of love and full of selflessness, full of courage. And God, would you just so use us this family of God called Redeemer, use us to love one another, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to look after one another's interests and needs. And then as Paul would say earlier in chapter 2, would this, would this kind of love for one another be that which is so impressive to the world as we hold forth the word of the gospel. So use us here in our city. That as you said, Lord, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Oh God, might our neighbors, might our unbelieving friends, Might they see in us a love and a kindness towards church family that is unique and powerful. And might that light that is shining in our city be used by you to bring people to faith in Jesus. We will pray this in his name, for his sake, for his glory. Amen. Amen.